Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is Chris Fogarty from Fogarty Finger Architects in New York City. Now, Chris has a background which brings him from England to New York, so we want to talk and dig into a little bit about that, plus a whole lot of other interesting questions that we've kind of got here. So, Chris, welcome to Talk Design. Great to have you Uh, here. Hi. Well, thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. It's good to hear that British accent hasn't disappeared with your time in New York. No, it sticks around and it keeps, you know, it might be the only thing I have that gets me clients. I often wonder. You know, isn't that an interesting thing? I remember in the golden days of traveling when I was younger, my accent would, you know, get me the drinks at the bar. And I'm a Kiwi, but I live in Australia, so mine's a bit blended, but still pretty Kiwi. Like locals here tell me I'm very much a Kiwi, 22 years in. It got me drinks in bars. It got me invited to parties in the good old days. But nowadays too many people travel. In New York, there's so many English people, people don't even blink. You know, they're just uh, another palm. But they don't say that. My mother's a Kiwi. I was, I was, I was mentioned earlier. She's uh, from there. But then she grew up in Zimbabwe. Oh, wow. And Yeah. And then she moved to England. So she's, she has a very healthy dislike of palms. Yeah. It's kind of bizarre. You know, like she, she's like, you know, don't be like these English guys. Well, you know, they're all whining palms. You know, that yeah, the, the whinging pond, we used to have that joke yeah. that was something like, how do you know there's a plane load of Englishmen or plane load of English palms at the airport? Well, the engines are stopped, but you can still hear it whining. And I remember that <laughs> as a it. kid, like, you know, typical racism as a kid of anything that was different from anything else was like, you know, the fear factor and it would pull it down. But those were the olden days of, you know, that kind of cultural thing. And we used to get lots and lots of you know, English immigrants when I was a kid, and when I say lots and lots, probably not that many, just enough that they stood out. And I remember we, we, when I was in New Zealand, we, so I haven't lived there for 22 years, we got a sudden influx of Chinese immigrants. Um, so they must have done something with the, the border controls and stuff to allow Chinese into the country. And I remember somebody pointing out to me at the time that when you'd look around and, you know, just about always in main center anywhere, you could see somebody of Asian origin, not even Chinese, but Asian origin. And what they pointed out to me was, is for every one of those, there's actually a South African as well, but you can't tell. It's interesting. Yeah. So, you know, my mother's family left Zimbabwe when thing went really The night bad. of the long knives, all that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. And uh, they all moved back to New Zealand. So they were probably my uh, family that they were pointing out to you. They kind probably. of. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's kind of interesting. Like she's part of that last gasp of the British Empire. I kind yeah. of always say it where, you know, like, uh, you know, it, none of it, none of it was pretty. And, um, but she ended up in England and I grew up in the Southwest of England in a small little town. And, what, what was uh, it called? Where did you grow up? I grew up in a, a town called Tynmouth on the coast. It, it, it conceptually should be really beautiful, but wasn't the countryside around it was really lovely. Really stunning. And, yeah. Stunning. And, but I just, you know, I couldn't wait to get out of there. 
you know, and uh, as soon as I could get to college, went to London. Yeah, um, that was you. Was out. You were and then, you know, then and then New York, you know, sort of like, so I guess I now go back. And of course, when I was a kid, I couldn't wait to get out. But now I go back and I realize how beautiful it was and what a, an amazing life it was to have growing up. In, yes. in in the countryside basically in the countryside yeah. yeah how yeah. lucky i was so so you know but uh, yeah so it's it's great to get back there um you know i miss it but love new york yeah and, look and i married a new yorker so i'm there kind of you stuck here. You're, you're done yeah. you're done you can't yeah, move done. yeah yeah <laughs> the thing with new yorkers is that it's such a fabulously vibrant city and it's so diverse you know culturally it's so diverse and i always think of it it's the only European city that isn't in Europe, but it's also the only world city that there is. Like there is no other city that touches the planet like I call a world it the, city like that. It's the Rome of today. Oh, it's, well, you know, like this is yeah. where the cult, you know, the heart of the yeah. world is yeah. at, at this moment in time. Yeah. And, you know, New York is interesting because it's actually culturally much closer to the UK than it is to most of America nowadays, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, that's why I know, say it's like a European city. It, 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 yeah. it, it's culturally, you know, even like Paris or something like that, it's culturally got a blend of everything and, and, and then hotspots of it as well in different neighborhoods. And you know? very, very liberal, you know, yep. relatively speaking, you know, we have great public transportation, uh, very, liberal policies on housing you know it's it's uh it's not that complicated coming to new york You're going outside of new york and you don't have to go far it gets complicated fast and and you know that's part of the tricky part of america at the moment you know it's it's a, sure. it's a strange place to be it's, sure america's yeah america's still relatively divided and right across i was in wyoming so february march of this year and uh, i stayed over on that side uh, mainly because I got COVID, but I stayed over on that side. So I was in Wyoming and then Utah and then down into California and then flew out over a nearly a three-week period. And, you know, just even culturally from deep in the heart of Wyoming, so I was in Jackson Hole, beautiful spot. Yep. From there down through Utah, you know, there's such a cultural shift just in those two states. That's, That's right. You know, Jackson Hole, of course, is yeah. now, you know, fairly liberal because everybody's there as a billionaire. So, you know, like, but but it, it it is interesting. And I think it's 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 a shame. I don't think we're gonna look back at this part of American history and go, wow, they they nailed it. You know, it's 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 it, it's it's just a tough time. It's a tough time to be in the US and uh, you, you know, know I, I don't know what the rest of the world is like. The UK doesn't seem quite as extreme. Like that, the, the US yeah. seems to have got itself in a strange the, spot. The, the, the US is leading it, I think, possibly in extremity. This is from my point of view here. Um, but for, for the main part, the UK, as politics goes, doesn't seem to be very, whilst it seems fairly stable, it's not, it's not like a leading the charge. And I look at Australia and I go, it's not leading the charge. And at the start of COVID, we had New Zealand really making a huge um, mark on the map. Um, and, and especially for women leaders as well, like a beautiful uh, mark on the map. But she has now come under a lot of fire, which is, um, is 
uh, maybe some of it's deserved, I don't know. But it, culturally in New Zealand, I was just there recently and they've got all sorts of problems there um, within their cultural system as well. And yet they've always been very liberal and very moving, yeah. you know, move forward quickly. And yeah, it seems that there's a lot of countries we don't hear about and they're probably the most stable at the moment um, without things going on. And then it does have an effect on how people um, view the place they live in. You know, go go back to this thing of, so the pandemic, if we, I don't want to use that as our start point, but if we use it as a, as a marker here, people's thoughts around how they live, what they do, where they go, has shifted from a fear-based um, system, you know, what to a fear-based system, from a want system, you know, that that's that second consideration and everything. And how do they make their house safer? How do they make... And it, whilst it's just uh, they're looking at an invisible germ that they can't see, they're making reactive moves to it. Um, I think we're all a bit bruised. We're all a bit beaten up. We're all a little confused and we're coming out of it. And I think, honestly, I'm kind of optimistic that touch wood, you know, this is a obviously a massive blip in the road, but we seem pretty resilient and I think we'll kind of come out of it, but it is, it's interesting. I mean, New York is uh, getting back to life. I think we're still mm-hmm. at like 30 to 40% occupancy of our office space, which, really? um, you know, when you think about it is uh, really important to get like what makes New York so special is it's one of the few cities in the U S where people live and work in the same place most mm-hmm. of the cities in you know like are deserted you know in, in mm-hmm. uh, and the centers are kind of but, everyone lives in the suburbs they drive in and there may be some in even the ci- but even a city like paris you see that you know like in yeah. certain zones it's just gone it's like yeah. there's nobody there when it's a, a weekend yeah. or something so new york is coming back and but you know it what needs to happen is i don't want to be a, a big a big supporter like push say everyone needs to get back to the office but if you don't get the people back in the office then the subway system that is so good doesn't get the money to support the people you know like it all links together and so you know i think what i think uh we'll see it gradually happen people coming back i think uh it's 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 going to keep coming i always say you know nobody said uh well that really worked for my kid being remote taught during COVID. That was a, that was a big, that was a great success or they, you know, their kids at university, like, you know, not go to college that worked well, but everybody says, Oh, well, you know, working for home, that was great. Well, it kind of, it kind of was unless you were starting a job or, you uh, know, you needed mentoring or mm-hmm. you're living in a little studio with like three other people. Mm-hmm. Like it, it wasn't so great for that. It was great for all the people who, you know, like me who could, get away and be in some remote place and have yes. enough money to do it. But for a lot of people, it, it, they, they miss that chance to make friends, you know, start mm-hmm. relationships. So I, I'm a, you know, I, I, I think like a, like a rubber band, it'll get stretched and it'll go back slowly. It'll always be slightly different. I yes. think we've learned that. My, culturally uh, shift. Yeah. Like, but I, I now know that if somebody, we had a, something today in our office where some, some tragedy befell one of our staff and uh, they just need to work from home for a while mm-hmm. and regroup and connect. And, and that's great, right? Like they can go do that. They can get us, they can do their job. But they can, 
yeah, because now we know I've got working mothers or dads who kind of need to help with like, so all those things that we, you know, and it was the, the killer was that it was always there. We all had Zoom and Teams on our computer. We just didn't know we could use them like this. Like you and I are talking cross continent. Yeah. And so, you know, we've, we've un, very, un, you know, discovered this great tool that will give us incredible flexibility and help for our staff. But at the same time, I don't think one could ever say like, well, you know, the future of work is remote because if it is, it's going to be a shit show, you know, like it's oh, yeah. not, it's not yeah. going to work. Yeah. And, and certainly for our creative sides, it's, it's not good. I've spoken with a couple of people who um, run their, their firms completely remotely. So nobody, there is no office. They all work from home. They might have eight, eight or so employees. So it's not massive. Um, but they, I'm, I'm like so interested in the culture of how you run an architectural firm like that and how you um, create community between your people. And I was thinking back to somebody just the other day was asking me a question about something. And I said, well, I think it was Steve Jobs when he had the Pixar building built. He had it designed so that there was only bathrooms in, on certain floors and only kitchens on certain floors. And the route to them meant that you had to walk past lots of people yeah. because the nuance of those conversations is what drives the culture. And coming from Steve, that's big. And then on the next piece of it, it meant that the, they would bump into people they wouldn't otherwise see in a large organization because they had to travel there. And so that they observed afterwards was very much was, you know, there were these pockets of where people would stop and chat and stop and chat, yeah. which is the lunchroom or the bathroom chat or where we, we spend a lot of time uh, rebuilding our culture. I mean, 50% of our office uh, started during COVID, you know, so, you know, people churned, uh, moved or whatever. So we have groups of people, maybe it's 30%, but it was a, yeah. it was a big chunk and that we're 130 people or something. So we're pretty so that's, a, that's a lot of people. That's like 50, 60 people who've never met anyone else other oh, yeah. than, you know, the people on the team went, but when they, and so when they, we started to open the office about a year ago and we, we kept it at 50% occupancy all the time, mm -hmm. just seemed to work out because you get all these second waves, third waves, and it kind of just generally yeah. seemed to work. But we've spent a lot of time uh, organizing drinks, uh, having people come in, do presentations, uh, just and and just to get that culture because what makes any of us different from any other firm if you don't have something that you believe or you feel it identifies you and however good your work is it's the people that you work with that are the reason yeah. why you might say have the confidence to speak up about something and say, oh, I like this or say, you know, guys, that doesn't work. Maybe we need to redraw it and we have to stay a little bit later because you, you as a team, you, mm. you know each other and you support each other and you're there for each other and you have each other's backs. And, and that loyalty is uh, to each other is what makes you strong and kind of able to, to do the best work. Um, so it, it's a, it's, it's, it's interesting. Now, not all companies are architects, right? And we don't need to have that. I have a lot of, you know, a lot of management yeah. uh, or salespeople yeah. who were working from home already and kind of came into an office and they don't really need, they don't need that so much. They, they function more independently and everything else. So, you know, I think it, 
I, I, I'm not sure how it shakes out, but I, my guess is it'll revert to some sort of type at, at the end of the day. I, I, I think you're right. We'll, we'll end up with, um, you know, kind of different, different genres of firms will operate in, like they did, did before, but they will operate in slightly different manners. And we won't have necessarily the same amount of, um, you know, you, you start at nine and finish at five kind of um, hard line. Um, and we also won't have the people who go, well, I've, um, you know, they'll, they'll work from, well, we will have, and we won't have, we'll have a mix of people who go, you know, is it okay if I start at 11 and finish at, you know, seven or whatever those figures are um, each day because of these things, because we can, they can still cover off things while they're doing it. Um, I, I must... think the question we're looking at is like, can you create a culture in three days, four days, two days, one, like where does the, mm. where does the bonding moment happen? It seems to be okay around three days. Like, so you know, I think then the question is, you know, getting everybody in for the right time at the right, you know, somebody has a meeting, like it, it, it gets complicated. One of the funniest things is, you know, if the work week was six days long, it would be a lot easier to organize. Like the five <laughs> days is a very kind of hard number to kind of divide up into something useful. Uh, yep. So, you know, and, and and every company around the world has been struggling with, you know, uh, mm -hmm. how to manage this and everything else so you know i think we're all we're you know we, architects always try to do everything different but but this is just like everybody else we're all just struggling we're all just it. in the same in the same boat yeah, yeah it's an yeah. interesting construct our um five-day work week and you know two-day weekend um yeah it i don't know where it comes from it'd be worth finding out but it isn't in all cultures you know like it's in our yeah. um you know sort of like I suppose English culture is, I, I, I imagine it came as legislation at some point. I'm sure it was all religious, you know, like it, it's yep. all set up when, you know, yep. you needed to feast or Friday was this day and then Saturday yep. was rest and Sabbath was, you know, whatever, whatever range of religions brought it together to be that way. To, to be that way. Um, yeah. And yet, like I am um, with my whole team, I just, uh, we don't do, they do. I, I sorry. They don't do. I do. They don't do Fridays. So we only. They only do four days a week, and it makes it a short, more powerful working week. And sometimes I find it really frustrating on a Friday. But I'm the guy. Who cho I chose it. So, but on the, also on the Friday, it means that I get more free space to not be, um, to not have to manage. To, yep. to just manage what I, I just do things I enjoy with the business, you know, my work on the business or I work on drawings and, you know, things that I really, that bring that's me what joy. We've, that's, we've had feedback. Feedback is um, there's a lot of time where you're very dedicated and focused and you can be much better on that independent mm -hmm. by yourself at home. Um there are certain tasks like, you know, it's not all creative, right? Sometimes there's a door <laughs> schedule and, you know, when there's 862 doors and they've got different hardware, that sort of thing, you know, sitting in a room, you, you know, you don't need to be around anybody else interfering. Like, uh, so I've, you know, I've kind of swung, I've, I sort of swing from like, ah, oh, we've got to get everybody back in. So like, no, we don't need mm -hmm. to. Or where I'm, And now I'm just like, it'll be what it needs to be. It'll, like it'll shape itself. It shapes yep. itself. 
and it'll happen when it happens. Um, people will want to come in, you know, that, that the ones that want to will, the ones that don't, don't, if they feel like they're missing out on things, they'll come in more like, you know, it just, it'll just, I, I, I think we don't need to worry about it. Too yeah. Much. Don't, over, don't overthink yeah. it. Well, that's right. We're working on a project currently where it's a, an office and it's not for a big number of people, probably around, no, uh, it expand maybe to about 20, but 14 or so people. And um, of course, where I live here is a beachside suburb, um, an hour from our main city, which is Brisbane. So I'm living, I wouldn't say in the countryside, but it's not, it's not the burbs either. It's, um, they call yeah, it the exurbs. Yeah, yeah. like you know there's plenty of commuters but it's like yeah you're not out in the countryside and you've just got beautiful beaches and stuff and so for somebody who's interested in beaches it's uh it's a beautiful spot to live and then there's sort of hinterland with hills and trees and waterfalls and all those kind of things here and it it's got a climate somewhat like florida and then um this this client said to me he said so Will you do we we usually only do residential homes and uh, he said to me I, i've done his house he said to me would you do my office and i said yeah for sure man tell me what you want and he said these words world class and i'm like okay well what does world class mean you know we did the usual try and understand and i know his business and i know what he's like as a performer and i'm like okay and i said first of all why are you doing it was my biggest question and he said because he doesn't have to He's got a reasonably good office now. And he said, I'm going to grow the team a bit and I'm going to create this kind of thing. But he said, I need to attract these certain kind of talent. Yeah. And um, he said, and the beach isn't necessarily going to be what's going to attract them. And I'm like, right. And he's like, yeah, they need to be, you know, they're usually highly computer skilled and, yeah, we were laughing the other day, him and I, and he goes, the number of degrees that are in those rooms that they're not doing what their degree is, but their degree is, you know, like a doctorate or a master's and whatever, whatever. Yeah. Um, but these, you know, highly cognitive thinking people. And um, I said, so why the world class? And he goes, well, the office has to be better than their home. Yeah, has to be better than their home. And not only that, uh their competitors. Yeah. So, you know, we are all in an arms race to get the best students out of the best colleges to come and work for us because that's how you get the best work, right? Mm-hmm. And so when my competitors uh, have a new uh, office with an outdoor terrace with grow your own <laughs> vegetables and, you know, and I'm not joking here, and then, and then they have the beer keg and they have, you know, um, and, you know, they, they, they might come down to things as stupid as like they have two monitors, right? Like they, like all those things that, you know, you go in, all those are like, well, why should I be, you know, with Fogarty you, you know, yeah. the office is eight years old and kind of tired. I mean, they're beautiful, but, yeah. um, and so, you know, all those things, and then it gets even more so uh, the higher up the food chain. So, you know, like it's, it's a, we do a huge amount of corporate interiors um, and one of the biggest things we do more and more of is create these uh, 
stunning amenity spaces that are pantries and bars and yes. uh, they you know and and spaces sofas where you can sit down and kind of pull up seats and you know anywhere where you can get up from your desk go sit down and work somewhere else and i think you know that that was one of the big takeaways i got from working from home was it was really nice to sit at the desk but it was also nice when i needed to grab a coffee sit in my armchair and change the way i thought about things or change perspective yeah. of how i look at things so you know that was kind of happening before the pandemic and we've just seen it sort of continue and 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 i would say you know when everybody asked us you know we're, because we do a lot of this uh, of this, uh, they're like, what do you think is going to change? You know, because of the pandemic, like that was the big yeah. question. Every all our clients were desperate to know what they, you know, on our apartment buildings, what do we need mm-hmm. to do differently on our office buildings? Like, and you know, so we looked, you know, we talked a lot about touchless everything, like before we realized that that really wasn't like it was really the person, it was. Drinking in a bar was like the highest way of getting COVID. Like you could kind of, you could, you could, you could, you could lick a handrail and still not get it. But as soon as somebody started drinking in front of you, you, you were like almost immediately going to get it. That's how I got and, it. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Um, and so you know, but we were like touchless this, touchless elevators, and then yep. you know all our apartment buildings. Every you know suddenly you know they had these kind of brokers, and brokers are always like, Bleh. and they'd be like, oh, you know, the things that are renting the most or selling for the most money are places with balconies and i'm like no shit sherlock you know yeah, like but suddenly it was been. like yeah so now suddenly it was like everybody was like let's build buildings like we're on the seafront in miami you know in like new york and yep. put balconies everywhere and i was just like ah it's, uh, anyway, so and I, I was kind of you know when the, I, I read this book about the spanish flu and you know that was a period when everything was changing modernity yes. was changing everything so spanish flu came along and suddenly you know, subway tiles and powder rooms and, you know, closets all kind of happened because before that, nobody cared, but it was also happening. So the, 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 everybody's hygiene changed. That That's not really, I think the pandemic isn't, is, I, I think the results on architecture are just going to be fairly minimal. They, mm. they may be more cultural uh, in terms of like, people like we said maybe working at home and what does that mean for the towns that they live in i don't know if you've seen it but it, it meant local small towns suddenly their high streets were packed right because yes. all that money stayed local instead of being in new york or in miami yes. or wherever like it all went local yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent and and also friends in london would say to me the high street is like oxford circus <laughs> as opposed to oxford circus is like dead you know yeah. the, the center of town was nothing was happening because there That's were no right. tourists to fill it yeah and then yeah, the money high, just that yeah. money just moved straight to the all high these street. uh, high streets yeah 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 yep. and but, then uh, that that gave confidence in the high street um for people to do better and do more um because they were earning more money there and that dollar was also to another a lot spot. of people started new businesses and they just took up you know and you 100%. know there was that new coffee shop or that new person yep. who started a gallery like it was kind of it 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 it, it, it here in the US where towns struggle it was really kind of kickstarted a lot of uh, small towns to kind of a little rebirth which i think will kind of last on i think I mean, what oh, sorry i was going to say i think yeah. what happens with that is 
because all these people start something new, like so small business, very small business, starts off something new. And with doing it, what happens is, is they innovate to be different from whoever else. There's no corporation. There's no yeah. governing hand other than regulation. And they, they'll, they'll flaunt the rules of regulation as well because they don't know them. They're not hiring yeah. people to work those out. And so in doing that, what happens is we get these innovative spaces and we've gone from, and I've got this thing about architecture as well. We've gone from um, a homogenized, almost boring landscape of, you know, big, big box store type thing to now there's a nuance in every town. When I, when I first started traveling many years ago, one of the things I would do is I love to be able to buy something that was from, and everybody does, to souvenir pick from a place that it only belonged to. And so like, you know, you say you go to Jackson Hole. I don't want necessarily the Jackson Hole T-shirt. I want the T-shirt from the coffee shop that I went to for or the bar that I went to yeah. you know, four nights in a row that you can only get at the bar that you went to four nights in a row. That, that's, yeah. that's the only place it comes from. There isn't any other outlet. And that is, that's the piece that we're seeing again that we didn't see because it had been homogenized. Homogenized. I think the other thing is that, you know, say there was a couple and one of you had a job you didn't really like and the other one had a job that you liked and suddenly you could do it remotely. So, you know, suddenly you're at home, one person's working remotely, the other person's like, you know what, I, I never liked that job. And we're not spending as much money because we're not going out all the time. I'm going to open go. that shop and I'm going to do that thing. And I'm going to start that business. So I think there was, I think, you know, it was like often out of these moments of conflict or whatever come mm -hmm. great moments of creativity. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think though the pandemic, I like, you know, it, it, it took this pandemic for everyone to remember that we had one 20, 100 years ago, right? That, that, that nobody, nobody remembers it. That was it, long forgotten. Like, <laughs> long forgotten and just as, just as bad. And, yeah. uh, you know, but I, I, uh, you and I, I mentioned earlier, I mean, uh, I, th I think climate change is the bit that I'm yeah. just, yeah. just watching and we are seeing it with our projects. I mean, I am building buildings now where we're, the entry, the, the 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 ground floor of the building is six feet above the sidewalk on average. Like, and I'd say fifty percent of my buildings now are outside of like being designed in flood zones where, in thirty years' time, they kind of see that high tide will flood that street twice a day. You know, and that is so depressing to mm -hmm. be dealing with. And mm -hmm. I know you've been dealing with some floods mm -hmm. and and wildfires and mm -hmm. and. That's and just Australia. I, we deal with that, that stuff every yeah. year. <laughs> but everybody's dealing with everything yeah. all the time and it's happening faster. And I think it increases you know, so, stress on, on humans. It's increasing oh, it. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, and we cities produce, you know, 60% of, I think, the, uh, mm -hmm. you know, of the, uh, the carbon. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, it's you know that's a rough thing and you know in the in the in the first world we can kind of do all sorts of things to kind of help it and kind of mitigate it but in the third world where you've got these huge cities where you know they're just mm -hmm. trying to survive it's like so i just don't know i mean i i feel like that's the part where technology and 
is is like I feel like you know the the pandemic will be a blip, but this this climate change is just going to continue to be the biggest thing that we we deal with. And and I'm not even a big green architect. I'm just like I think getting yeah, just more, regular. more shocked. Yeah. yeah, more shocked at how impacting how the way we have to design is being impacted by it, and that you can't ignore it any longer. It's that's just where we are, and it and and if we don't shift, it's going to get. It's going to get. It, it, it's getting worse. I mean, it just. It's. It's tough. So I think. I think it's a really like fascinating piece of a conversation because, you know, when we, when we were kids, um, there was certainly in my. Um, you know, I was born in the sixties. There's no, um, no concern for it. You know, littering was was yeah yeah the concern. Um, you know, littering and vandalism and. You know that people didn't really. I'm sure there were groups, but the 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 push on, or oh, you don't cut down all those trees, or you don't do these different things, um, was yeah, kind of a sideline. It was like yeah, there were there were. It wasn't like the forefront of our mind to what we needed to do. And yeah. as you say, like we have culturally different values globally um, around different places, and that has a massive effect as well on how we treat the environment. And as you said, like with a lot of the third world countries, whether it's education or whether it's, um, as you said, just survival, they have a different outlook on it. Um, and there's a lot of, I think, greed that comes from the Western side of it where they do fully understand it. And they go, that's okay. We'll rape and pillage their place, not our place. Or we're not lately well, we're, allowed we, to. We're, we're okay now because we, yeah. we've got technology and we can support it and everything else. I, I think it's really tricky. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I do have a, a very good philosopher friend who, you know, when I'm getting really gloom and doomy, he's like, you know, this is a pretty gloomy pandemic, climate change. No, no, this is very uh, happy mm -hmm. stuff. He goes, well, you know, the average life expectancy of everybody's just gone through the roof. Like ch child mortality has just virtually disappeared. Like, you know, we, it's actually, if you look at it on some metrics, we've never been better than we are today. And it, it's really, and I, and I always think, well, that's actually, you know, I do want to be optimistic. And, and I kind of think, you know, like Amsterdam should have been gone 200 years ago. I think some guy, and Venice. You know, some, <laughs> at Venice, right? Some guy got told off the other day because he was like on from BP and he said, you know what, the Dutch figured it out and there's, you know, Holland's still standing and like, we'll, we'll figure it out. And everybody was like, you can't belittle, especially I think when you come from BP, you know, like one of these big power yes. companies, yes. like you're, just, you're not the right person <laughs> to make that comment. But so, you know, I mean, I think when I get too gloomy about it, I do, I do think, well, we're on metrics, we're better than ever. And, you know, so you know, let, yes, like New York will be underwater in about, you know, 30 years time, but, you know, we're smart enough. We, or will we, like, it? We can, yeah. Or will it? Yeah. You know, yeah. or we'll buy, build these dikes, you know, we'll be like the Dutch. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just, you know, but it's, it is, it is just there. And I think uh, it's, it's top of the thing that we need to be thinking about focused on and, and, and working as architects to kind of help solve. Tell me some things around that. So, like, if you were if you were just taking in a graduate, and um, or your or your younger self, even um, what would you what would you choose to say 
when they're thinking design or they're thinking position or whatever, what would you sort of, how would you educate them or what would you want them to know that it, it, this is, this is what, this is where we're predicting our future could end up, but it may not end up there as well. So, it's, so it's a balance. I think, you know, I think it's a really interesting thing. Like, so architects, what we do is intrinsically miserable for the environment, right? Mm. So, we so, put big you know, boxes like it, on it. Yeah, yeah. We, we rip, we, if, you know, at least in cities, you're just going over old people's stuff. But if you're, you know, people have built before, but if you're doing it in, well, like me, Greenland, say in the countryside. Yeah, yeah. Then, then you know, it's just it's just negative from the start, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm a great believer that the best solution is to vote for policies that end up mandating change. Like asking people to do it just doesn't really work. No. But mm-hmm. but when you mandate it, suddenly everybody has to do it and think about it. So I would say to to to, to younger me is um, look at who supports what. Why is that important? Like you know, and I think it's going to become more and more of an issue. I think as people find that the houses are just floating off down the road, they're going to actually start saying, you know, I need a government to focus on this. So, like this is not yeah. a non-issue yeah. to me anymore. But so I, I think uh, pushing that. I think uh, that 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 to, to me. That they had this system here and they still have it. It's called the LEED system. And I remember listening to the guy who organized it or whoever the organization and, and, and it, it, he said, you know, what, what was his goal for the LEED system, which is this man, you know, like you got all these points and you could call your building a, a silver, gold or platinum LEED yes. building. Yep. Um, he said the best solution for him would be there wouldn't be a LEED system, that all the things that he thought needed to be mandated would be there in the code already mm-hmm. and every building by default would be a platinum yes. uh, lead building yep. Yep. and we'd innovate uh, with would, that as being the benchmark yeah so yeah. you'd he'd basically make himself obsolete because it would have succeeded yeah and we're kind of getting there in new york now every building pretty much as a basic is is a leads building like you don't get to the mega sort of like mm-hmm top ones but you by default the codes and the energy so you know i think that sort of boring stuff like why is the electrical code or the water code or plumbing code important like nobody cares right but it's all linked to your you know watching a house float down the street and so i think that that's where i think the the biggest focus of energy should be is like just mandate the hell out of us so that we have no choice it, and, uh, it certainly means like the tighter you usually make uh, a, a rule or a regulation means that once people learn it, then they innovate from it. And, you know, the, the old thing, you learn the rules so that you know how to push them and expand them and break them. Um, and it's not necessarily break them for to do something wrong. It's to break them to do something better. Exactly. But if we learn this thing, you know, like I, I used to work as an innovation trainer in big companies like Airbus and stuff. And um, with it, we would go, okay, well, we already know all this stuff and we're already a long way towards where we want to be, but this is just our platform that we can now start to, you know, step off from and step up from. We don't step down, we step up. And and, and America's very good at uh, technology. And if you set the platform, 
then they suddenly start producing mm-hmm. the stuff and they kind of figure out how to make it cheaper, smaller, faster, more efficient. Yep. And because if they, can, if they can find a way to make money out of it, they do. And I think that's the, that's the, you know, I always get upset, you know, this idea of big government. I'm like, ah, you know, it kind of works. Like, you know, like it'll, it'll in, you know, it, it, it's not socialism. It, it's capitalism. You get, you, you set these rules, you, you yes. uh, support people to get there and they'll just innovate their way through the roof. I think that's the thing. And actually America of all countries has a beautiful like track record of being hugely innovative. And yeah. because of its size, and so you've got a size of marketplace, it can do it on a um, influential scale globally. Whereas if you take a country, say like New Zealand, that has a really high innovation um, you know, score, what happens is, is because of its size, it's not, it doesn't scale. Um, you know, you're trying to scale within four and a half million people. Whereas yeah. in America, that's a town, you know, that's a, that's a, a state maybe in some yeah. cases, but it's, you can, you can start to scale. Um, and in England, I, I think it's fascinating is, is you've got the same, you've got this ability for people to innovate and they don't have to have distance as a barrier to the innovation. So because so the, the, the American thing works because this is one of the big things that I find different about the UK and America is the glorification of the individual here is just terrifying. Like my daughter's graduating college and, you know, there's a gown, there's a robe, there's a party, there's a prom. There, I mean, it doesn't Private end. jet. I'm is, like, uh... Yeah, you know, God, I mean. <laughs> I mean, when I graduated school, you know, I just went home. That was it. I'm like, I'm the hell out of here. And, um, you know, so I'm living that at the moment, this idea that every individual is going to be an entrepreneur and they're all going to go to college and they're all going to change the world. And, and that's, why the, that's why they're all so bloody depressed is because none of them make it, right? So, you yeah. know, they're all glorified to do it. Um, but none of them succeed. So then they go grab a gun and take out half the town. You know, uh, it's just a really mm. messed up town. It's a country where they, 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 there's so much uh, fascination in the self that they just can't seem to look beyond that. But it does create for this incredible atmosphere for entrepreneurs and success and people to kind of like, it doesn't surprise me, Elon Musk is South African, but succeeded in the u.s yes, like 100 percent. yeah because this place completely uh uh it, it nurtures it, and, it, it, and, yeah. and nurtures it and congratulates it and and sponsors it so it, it's and it's why i came came here you know i found england a little drab and kind of i i have quite a character so, and i found like you know i, I you know you put me your head about the journey power from, pit. from tinmouth to, uh, to new york city well, you know, I, I, so my mum, I could draw, uh, drew, I, like I just never stopped drawing. Like, you know, you put a pen in my hand, I draw. That's what I do. Like, all day long, I draw. And my mother said she'd be an artist, but I, I, I knew that I didn't have that, that vision or yep. maybe even an insanity to be a truly great artist. So, like, I, 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 I kind I of that. discovered architecture and that you could get paid to, to draw and I was just like well this is great and and then sort of fell into like going to a very good school and then fell into working at Skidmore Owings and Maryland and London and then when I, I kind of you know like it's a long story but there's always a 
broken heart and a girlfriend somewhere in one of the junctions. And, and you know, <laughs> I kind of left that England. For the movie. <laughs> yeah. But I ended up, you know, they sent me to Washington, D.C., and I worked in SOM there. And then they moved me up to New York. And, 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 and finally, I kind of quit SOM when we had our first child and uh, started my own practice with uh, my partner, Robert. Um, yep. And he was at SOM as well. And so we, we started and we'd been doing, he, he did uh, in corporate interiors. I did skyscrapers and towers around the world. And, you know, we were young, you know, we were like early thirties and we had this kind of like, you know, king yeah. of the world. And then, then, yeah. 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 And then suddenly we're doing like a, a student's bathroom and renovating an apartment and like it all came <laughs> crashing down very quickly. Um, and so we had to start, you know, bit by bit and kind of I always call them the crazy first client who would take the risk on you and yeah we were pretty keen I know you do private residential we 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 got pretty good at it and it was really helpful for us it gave us a different sense of scale and uh feeling and a real approach to the quality of space that I think when we mm-hmm. were doing much bigger projects we didn't have but dealing with clients and uh, uh, their single individuals yes yeah, yeah marriage uh, counseling and um, marriage counseling and, and yeah the, their, was, their personal values become yeah. so intrinsic to the project mm-hmm. that's right and, mm-hmm. and and it was also hard to scale up from that and yep. you know so you know once we got a first building built and then the next one and then the next one and then you know and and and, and you know one of the things in the U.S. is they, 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 the, the, in New York especially, the projects tend to be fairly large. So, uh, you know, maybe our first building was 20 apartments or something, you know, yeah. which is a big project normally. Yeah, in, sure. In England, that would a whole be a big, big project. Yeah, it's not a but, duplex yeah. or a triplex. Yeah. And so then, you know, but then, you know, that there's so much money invested that you suddenly, if you can, they're suddenly much bigger. And then they only trust certain people with a certain size project. So once yes. you hit that point and you also get kind of pigeonholed, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, we'd love to do more academic work. We've got a couple of projects, but, you know, what we what we get known for is this. So suddenly you've got all these towers going on everywhere, but, you know, you can't get an academic building for love of God or money, because that's not what you do, right? What would you so know about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's kind of interesting. And so you sort of you try and manage the firm and, you know, try and push more into like getting more academic work. And then we try more into hotel work. But it's very interesting how you can get locked into certain ways uh, I think... by, by, by the way that you're perceived in the market. Yeah, and where you get your successes, like, um, yeah. you know, it, it's that old, you know, sort of saying where, you know, you do one thing wrong and it defines you forever. Um, That's right. And in this, you do one thing right and it defines you forever, you know. That's and exactly so, right. That's exactly I always right. think of it with musicians the same way. You know, they, they write a, a, a hit song and it defines either that moment or a series of hit songs, but then they, they're trapped in their own success of it. That they you know, one of the things genre. one of the things that I have learned with time is architecture is really slow. Mm. So, you know, it takes three years to get one of your buildings built. 
at least. And then somebody yeah. sees it. And then you might get the next ones and there's another three years, right? And then and then you might get like a whole, like a bus as they all start coming along, but each one takes three years. So, or four years or even five years. So, you know, fast forward, you start this firm when you're 35 and now you get to 55 or 54 where I am now. Yeah. And we've, we've built a lot of buildings, but even the new stuff, like the, I'm currently, my our clients see us as somebody that does like six to 14 story buildings you know, out there. But in but, fact, all we're working on are 40 to 60 story buildings, but nobody knows because I can't publish them because they're not finished. <laughs> so you're always running behind, behind. Uh, everything. This and, is a, you want to dig into this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you're running behind. And then you also, because it takes so long to get the wisdom and the knowledge, they also give you uh, the chance to go on longer. So they often say a young architect is still in their 50s because yes. that's, it's only by then that you've actually built something to actually have any experience to be able to have an mm -hmm. opinion about how it really happens. And so, you know, my wife was in banking and there they all burn out. She's got all these friends who made gobs loads of money and, you know, now are sitting around with nothing to do and nobody wants them. And meanwhile, you know, the doctors and the teachers and the architects are all like that tortoise kind of just getting into the best parts of their career. Yeah. And um, I think, so that's, that's one of the nice things. That's one of the things I tell my younger self as well is just be patient. Like just, you know, it just takes a long time, but, but when you get there, the runway is a bit longer. It's certainly better than a pop star. Yes. Yeah. Like it, it, it's, it's really interesting that slow cycle business versus high cycle business and high cycle business, you know, Boston consulting or something. Yep. By the time you're probably 35 or 40, you're, you're, you're done. <laughs> you've, you've, you've That's worked, right. you've done, you've done your hours and architecture or probably architecture is probably one of the extremes with it because it's such a slow cycle business. You know, you might be two or three years of planning before you even start building. Yep. And then you're another two or three years of building before it's completed. The thing that I've seen that has um, changed this, not necessarily changed it because there's still got to be the trust. So you're still going to have runs on the board. But the thing that's innovative, technology innovation, is the, the ability to render yeah, um, yeah. things. So you could have a project that you're doing, you know, like you say, that's 40 or 60 stories high. And you can produce renders for it. And I think that there's even, you know, enough categories and awards now that you could win awards for those. That's right. And so, so buildings. So that's a big change. So we do, we work in, 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 obviously we start in like plan and section, but we go almost to 3D immediately. And, and then we live there now for the duration of the project. It ends up in Revit. Yeah. And actually, you know, I think I, I had this, I was on some panel the other day and there was this guy, Patrick Schumacher, who is like the person who took over Zaha Hadid's mm -hmm. company. And uh, he's yep. kind of an interesting character. He's got some kind of, kind of Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand sort of like uh, philosophy on life. But he was talking about virtual, uh, you know, the, the meta yes. verse and yes. everything else. And and I came away from it. I was all excited. I was like, "But well, this, this is, this is like, you know, when people started designing websites for, you know, like it was graphic designers who were the 
you know, yep. at first it was just awful, right? Like uh, just pieces of code, but then they kind of hired graphic design and, and good graphic design firms became like great new websites, part of that new technology. And they changed the path and they changed part of, they became part of the tech world. And I thought, well, this is where architects is going to be. You know, like yep. we, we, we do it in Revit, we do it in, in 3D, we render things, we have all this technology already, uh, that's it. And I was like, and I kind of was thinking and I thought, well, this is the future. The future is like we do a lot of these office uh, interiors where we do like beautiful conference centers, right? With big desks and everything else and huge screens. So everyone can talk to each other around the world. And I was thinking, this is it. We're going to just, you know, people are going to wear their Google or their Apple glasses. They're going yeah. to come in. Like you and I would be not doing this on Zoom. We'd be doing it. You'd through Google Glass. Or, you, yes. Yeah, you'd be virtually sitting on the table opposite yeah. me and my glasses on and you'd see me. But, you know, it'll all be in this space that Fogarty Finger had designed and there was a physical one and there's a virtual. And I was like, this is it. This is going to be it. And I told my partner, Robert, this is what you need to tell people. This is the future of architecture. This is where we need to be. And then I looked at like, you know, these things and it's like, it's like my, it's like Minecraft. I mean, the yes. graphics are so bad and yes. you know, it, it is like, it is the most depressing thing in the in the world. I'm never going to want to look at an avatar of you <laughs> when I can look at you in reality. Right. Like it's just, it, and so that all just came crashing down and I was so excited for a while. I thought I had an answer to the future of, you know, what's the future of, I think Everything we're going to get an element of it, though, because there's it's, even though, like you say, like, you know, you look at Minecraft and you go, oh, my God, like, yeah, that's I, I watched my daughter do some she she loves to my youngest daughter. She loves to be able to create buildings, essentially. Yeah. Um, in the computer. And I go, oh, there's just no nuance to it. There's just. <laughs> It's so but the computing static. technology is the limit, I think. I mm -hmm. don't think it's the... It's not the human. It's the computing. It's not the human. I think as they get the computers to be faster and faster. I mean, but, of course, it's going to be like, you know, like everything. It's only going to be a certain group of people who can do it. Right? Like, it's yes. not, not to everyone. And somebody, I, somebody much smarter than me that I listened to said, uh, the virtual world will make you appreciate the real world more. Ooh. Like... So, you know, you're in this kind of Minecraft thing and you're just so happy to go to like Kruger National Park or something uh -huh. like you're so happy to go and just see the trees and like the sun come over your face. Like and and so, you know, my big. So anyway, I was all kind of I thought this was going to be our big thing and we should just push it and talk to people about it. And now I'm just kind of like, I, I, I don't know. I think I think we've got a ways to go. I'm with you. I I think that um, we're a long way from there yet. I think that we will get to a point where there is um, so much more available growth in that space. And people will live in, not all people, some people will live partly in virtual reality. I think they do now anyway. Um, part, partly in virtual reality. So a portion of their hours of well, waking hours will be in virtual reality and another portion of their hours will be in real reality. Yeah. Um, I was talking to Tom Kundig from Olsen Kundig and he was the first person I'd ever had this conversation with around this metaverse thing. And he was saying, you know, the future for not the future, but a future for architectural students is the gaming space. And 
the virtual reality world uh, where they still need, ultimately, as it progresses, they will still need beautifully thought out spaces and buildings. And Yeah, I mean, we're already losing, right? Like those, so there's, a, I mean, I don't know if you've had it come out there yet, but Top Gun just mm-hmm. came out here. And I haven't how gone good to see was it yet. that? Oh, uh, have you seen it? Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I've got to go. I can't yeah. wait to go. And do, the, do you drive? Do you drive a car in New York? Yeah, 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 yeah. So make sure you go to a theater far enough away so you can speed all the way home. <laughs> <laughs> I just put your foot down. But, um, but so the director of that movie, Joe Kaczynski, yes. uh, used to do the renderings for me at SOM. Like no. he was like, yeah, he had this lab called KD Lab. He was like, uh, he and his buddy and... Um, you know, and then he did that. He did the other movie. I can't remember what it was. Some beautiful movie with Rosamund Pike and and uh, Tom Cruise. They were like floating around the earth. Like, oh, so yes. I, I, know. Oh, yeah. I, I know the movie, but I can't think what it was called. Yeah. Yes. But it yeah. was beautifully done and incredibly graphic. And, and so he's an architect. And so, you know, and that's where all the. Uh, that's what we're going to we're going to lose those great talented people because honestly everyone's going to pay so much more and we already are to gaming Mm. and everything Mm. else and so it's a it's a real struggle it's a real struggle here to get uh really good staff our offices the best minds yeah our office is i'd say probably about 30 or 40 percent uh uh from overseas not not american yes um and that's because americans aren't rushing to architecture school anymore i mean that 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 doing everything else because you know that that when you come out of architecture school the salaries don't aren't you know and here you have to pay and you end up two hundred thousand dollars in debt you could spend you know the rest of your life trying to pay that off so unless you're wealthy or unless you're going back to a country where they uh respect architects more it's it's really really hard and well, and so as a profession it's certainly not the highest paid profession um yet it's the thing that amazes me with architecture is the difference between good and bad is like day and night um and the the rubbish in the in between that everybody um puts up with is you know, partly driven by regulation, but it's shocking. Um, and just, yeah, you know, just a little more thought can make people's lives a, a whole lot better. So we, I, I have a whole theory about this. And one of the things that frustrates me about architecture is that we are the only profession where we want everybody who works for us to have gone through the five-year program that we went through. Like doctors don't have doctors working for them. They have nurses. And that mm-hmm. nursing uh, profession um, is a shorter training period. It's, it, it can bring in a much more oh. diverse group of people. Um, and, you know, it, 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 so I, I, like there's 140 plus schools in the U.S. We hire probably from the top 25. The other ones probably don't get a look in. Yep. They're all producing people that, may be good may not be good who knows but they're not as good as the top 30 or 40 schools um we're all all the top firms are fighting to get those top people everybody else is doing something else right and even um, you know at design school i was maybe in the top 20 top 25 yeah. percent but not the top 
there were people not much, much better five. than me. Yeah. Not the top five. And, you know, it's, I just feel like what we really want is, 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 is a, if we want our salaries to increase for our staff, we need to change the way we do it. We need to make our architects more like doctors. We need to allow uh, a more diverse first group of really smart people from all backgrounds because they only have to do a two-year architectural technician mm-hmm. training. They come and work and the really good ones can go become apprentices and have a pathway to be an architect as well because there's no reason why they shouldn't be architects. Like they can just do five, six-year apprenticeship. And that's actually what the old architecture profession used to be it so, was how it was set up wasn't it it, yeah, was, it, it was set exactly up where you did an apprenticeship yeah and and we would get more diversity we'd have more people of color we'd have more women we'd have uh, uh just more, everything more economic diversity yep. Yep. because we wouldn't have this five-year program that ends up costing you in the u.s now fifty thousand or more a year mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. right and so why would I do that if I could go and start like the people starting at Google now are starting on 200 plus thousand mm-hmm. a year, right? Mm-hmm. My architects are starting on 50 to 60. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not even in the same ballpark. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, 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 I don't have the power to make that change, but that would be if I could wave a wand, that would be my uh, solution to, to so- improving architecture. Is it, I think it's a, like, I'm actually not an architect, so I, I, I'm really interested in it. Um, and, and I, yeah, like I'm dyslexic. So my whole background, I've been able to draw like you as a child. I, I started out drawing. Um, my dad's a fine artist um, and he worked in commercial art. And so drawing was probably drawing and problem solving. I think being dyslexic taught me to problem solve. A lot of great architects are dyslexic. So many of had them. to find Richard, a way Richard around. Richard Rogers yep. is, you know, dyslexic. I mean, it says a lot. It, it, because it teaches you to work around. It teaches yeah. you how to see things different. Well, you don't get to get taught to see things differently. You see them differently, and your mind actually operates kind of. Uh, I, I always think more like a scrambled egg. Um, but then it still makes a, a, a something delicious at the end. It's. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go to architecture school, but of course I didn't have the marks at school to go. So that was my, so I went into clothing instead. You know, it was uh, clothing. I didn't need any marks to do clothing and people live in it. So it's pretty much the same in some, some yeah. aspect, but it's um, that high end ability of creativity and analytics and architecture. I always think of the difference between an artist and say a designer is, as a designer creates things for others and, and themselves, but for others, um, where an artist creates things for themselves and then others appreciate, appreciate them. Um, and then you get into commercial. That's a blurred line. But with it, I have this sort of thing where I go, if people did apprenticeships, um, imagine, imagine the number of doors it would open and yes, you would have a, a, a like the, the salaries would be even lower at the bottom end of that first training thing. But you would have these standards where you opened up people's abilities and eyes and wrapped the industry around them um, and then taught them the rules and the laws of the industry, just, you know, how, how the laws of nature work with things. Um, you'd have it'd be such a different, diverse thing. So and different, not, right? And, 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 and not tied that, in an academic. 
not tidy That's right. academia. And, yeah. because, and, and the one thing we've learned, right, is that those kids that used to be like when you and I were at school and you probably might have had mm. this and I think I have I don't know what I've got going on but I wasn't the top student but nowadays we realize there's all these reasons like you were dyslexic yeah. or you might have ADD and everything yeah. else and probably so, had that too <laughs> yeah so we you know pump our kids full of drugs or we do whatever to kind of help them get through it but in fact you know the the best architect like I, yeah. I, I don't think they can do math to save, you know, some of them can, some of them can't, but yeah. like we've just limited ourselves in, in so many ways. And I feel like, so that would be my solution. That's, that's my kind of, that's my magic wand to, to, to make a better if profession. He, and it get would be interesting to, to, to take that road and go, okay, well, so we'll employ some um, people who have, who show a skill, but not necessarily, um, it, it's not, developed or honed you know like that they they're employing the younger you and then having a mentorship program so they they may never become an architect but they become a person of huge value um, and and architects are very varied right so on one yeah. end of the spectrum is the designer right yes. and they perform one role yeah and then you know on the other end is the person who truly loves building and helping mm -hmm. and getting things constructed and they're not necessarily the same person i hate going to site um because i can't control the process and i i get bored quickly yes um you know but but those people are really valuable and then you've got people who are great with clients and can manage them and can kind of manage teams and kind of yes pull like complex things that require 50 different firms all talking at the same time like to communicate and they are incredible so it's it's a it's a wide band of people it's, that it's are a whole needed community make, yeah it's, and it's, it's not just one set of people who just happen to be the best designers because they're no. often i think they're kind of useless at communicating with people mm -hmm. right they have great design ideas but no one cares because no one hears them because they you know they, they don't look at the person in the eye and they, 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 get, yeah, they can can't coach. communicate. They can't, yeah. um, they can't speak about what they're doing. You know, I like, yeah. I, I often think that, you know, in a firm, when you have your crit, um, that there should be a crit coach. So that, um, you know, when, when somebody has to stand up and present where they're thinking their work's at, um, that they've got a certain number of, um, I suppose, skills taught skills and just how to present it and just and we can to, coach them yeah. we, we we hire coaches for our staff to uh, help them if they if they struggle with that because even though you you can always coach communication you can't coach great design right no. so you do need to take these people and you kind of have to mentor them through and you kind of expose them and they and, and a bit like we we're talking earlier it takes such a long time the other thing mm. is takes such a long time it doesn't always have to be right first time that's the other thing about architecture is like you learn that is like it's okay you present something and it's a really bad idea you can fix it next yeah. time and get it better and then it's only a drawing and then, yeah and then and then you might see it you might it might even get through that and you might see it built but you can never do it again you know like yeah. and so you you kind of it's those of a doctor they're just dead on you right like i was about surgeon, to you say that you the parallels up, the surgeon, you know yeah, yeah. but yeah. so you can we close get them up and time. come back sometimes yeah we get what they do on tv to improve yeah so we have that much more time to improve and get better and get wiser and more wisdom so it, it that's what that's the nice thing i've learned it, I, it, it you 
like it, it you have time to fix stuff so as a as a younger self thing or as somebody coming into the industry it's a really good point to to give them is is that that there is time there is time and there's a, there's also the thing that like you were describing you know the different types of people that work in a firm there's a, a amazing depth of if you're working in a firm that's probably anywhere over you know well maybe even as much as three people but three to you know five people to whatever um there's amazing depth that each person in that firm will carry in just understanding different areas of what needs to happen uh, because architecture is complex yeah, and when, and when I, I, I don't remember anything. I, I remember yeah. nothing. So I'm always asking, like, what did we do here? What was the <laughs> answer to this problem? Because I know, I know we've had it before, but I can't remember what the answer was. Just how we and, solved it. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and how, right. yeah how, it will, how it will relate now. It's such yeah, a fascinating right. conversation. Um, with that, tell me this one. Um, with, you know, this collision of, I suppose, uh, the the climate change. And we're going to start to see with climate change, you know, a whole lot more regulation that we're we're going to see. And do we have to be regulated before we take heed of what needs to happen? Probably, yes. Um, And the the technology side of of what we will do to, um, I was going to say survive climate change, it's not survive, to thrive within climate climate change because it will present as many opportunities as it will take them away. Um, what do you see as sort of some of the big points? Obviously, you know, everybody's worried about the rising sea, but then what happens with the wind and what happens with the sunshine? And, you know, tell me what you sort of focus. What do I think? I mean, we haven't done it yet. One of my directors here is really pushing to try and get into the passive house uh, Mm -hmm. moment where your buildings are completely carbon zero, you know, net zero. We don't have a massive, uh, you know, I go back to the UK and everything is understood in terms of its carbon footprint, you know, like, so, you know, you take a vacation now in the UK and you're getting on the plane and getting to the airport and then going to wherever is all measured in carbon. Yes. Um, and and you think about things that way. That doesn't happen in the US. So I think uh, that uh, sort of uh, change will happen here. And, you know, our clients will start thinking of it as well. And so just like, you know, when you and I were growing up, everybody smoked. Mm-hmm. And you, you, could, you could have said to everybody, this isn't going to be around in 20 years' time. Nobody would have believed you. They're like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one last, uh, one last drag before. Yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Let's have another lager and another beer, yeah, another, another cigarette. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, suddenly uh, that just disappeared overnight. Yeah. And, Everybody bought into the same thing. Nobody, nobody said it's completely illegal. No one mm-hmm. mandated it out of existence. It just ceased to be socially acceptable to uh, to smoke. And I think that point will happen with carbon footprints and being aware of what you do, mm-hmm. so that we it it that idea that you buy a car that doesn't have any you know, fuel economy, or you you don't update your house with uh, 
you better know, insulation the, or better yeah. insulation yeah. or you're just kind of ignoring it yeah uh, it becomes less and less socially acceptable that you just end up the peer pressure just makes everybody kind of start saying yeah this is just what i'm going to do and and i i and I think it kind of starts with clients as well as the architect. Like mm -hmm. I can tell my client they should do something, but only they are going to write the check to do it. Yes. Um, and I think when they feel that it's socially not acceptable to put a building up that has uh, an obsolete form of air conditioning that isn't the isn't what the like, and and the market will be there with them as well. But that's what we see. It's like the market now. Uh, people don't want high fuel bills, right? So yes. they don't want to pay that, and so. It, it, but I think it'll be that 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 point. We're not there now, right? Like you know, but we're on the way. In a, but but it's when it becomes like smoking or or like drink driving was another yes. one where it yes. just became obsolete. Like nobody, it was always illegal. Everyone ignored it, and then suddenly overnight, everyone said, "You know what? We better take idea. we better take care of this. Treat it more yeah. responsibly." Yeah, I think so that's what. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating because it is, it's taking personal responsibility again for a bigger yeah. problem um, as opposed to being just told this won't be happening and then yeah. Yeah, it goes underground. Um, I've, I, one of the things that I'm sort of aware of is, is that, you know, we're, we're going to have probably hotter periods. We're going to have wetter periods. We're going to have... Um, you know, more wind, we're going to have more erosion, we're going to have all these things. And when I'm looking out there and, you know, we'll, we'll be at a site and I go, okay, so, so what will happen to this in 50 years' time or in 30 years' time? Um, it's one thing to sit with the client and say, well, you know, let's lay out 5, 10, 15 years of, you know, how you're likely to live in this particular home and, and beyond, you know, like, um, which is one thing but another thing is is going god what will the environment do to us in this time yeah how will we better protect ourselves from that yeah i mean the the the, the flood thing's pretty easy it's just, just <laughs> it's, it's, it's just like you just watch it every year it just gets higher your your flood yep. so that that that's been the shocking thing to me it's like i i have moved uh, from being thinking of it as a nuisance to realizing that it's 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 just here and it's it's just to, a part of what's going to happen. It's yeah. a part of what's going to yeah. happen. It, and so it's a know, responsibility. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. You can't ignore it anymore. I used to think, let's just get slightly above whatever we're mandated because <laughs> that'll be that'll be it. But then you kind of realize that you know that gets you ten years. Like and, uh -huh. and 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 you know the other thing is interesting is insurance companies. You know, like uh, they don't. That's wanna, the change. They don't want to insure your building as well. So, you know, you're getting it from everywhere. It gets, it comes from, uh, from, from the code. It comes from your own personal sense of responsibility. It also comes from the fact if you want to get insurance, if you don't build it the way that you need to build it, they're not going to insure so it for you. So we're seeing this already, especially with waterfront property. We're starting to see that climb um, in, in insurance premiums. And, uh, you know, we, not my job, but a job that a friend of mine was doing um, – was saying that the people went to insure their home, waterfront home in Australia here, not in Sydney, like in a, you know, not in a major town. Um, and they got a quote and it was $40,000 to insure the building. And I'm like, what? And uh, anyway, like he said, apparently they ended up insuring it for eight. Now, previously, they probably would have been able to insure that building for three. Yeah. 
and you're yeah. going, so they paid more than double that, but they their first quote came back at 40. So yeah. they probably have no insurance cover with eight. Um, that's right. But they and, have a document so, that they hope to live by. That's right. I mean, but so so I think there's many ways. I, mm-hmm. I I'm not sure what the what the perfect perfect. I think it's combination, like everything. It's yeah. not just one thing. It's everything working together. Mm. So that's where we are. What a fascinating conversation. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, I've got a question. It's the last question for you, and I often ask okay. this of guests. So, you've got one last project. This is it. You've got to hang your hat up after this. There will be, you're not allowed to work on another project ever. This is it. What do you choose to do and why? You know, this is a variation on a, you know, when I was young, I was an altar boy, you know, yep. and the priest, uh, he, he, he doing his homily and he said, you know, he was, he was with a fellow priest and they're playing pool. And he said this question to the priest. He said, what, what would you do? And he'd go, I think I'd probably, you know, go for the go for the the black, you know, off the back cushion. Like he he just didn't because he was so confident that he was going to heaven. Uh, he, it didn't really matter what his last thing was because he had a good life and he knew where he was going. Um, with respect to projects, I I think I'd be a bit like that priest. I'd be like I was very lucky to be able to do any of the things I. I never thought I'd be in New York and getting the chance to do great buildings and meeting people like you or any of that stuff. I think I'd, I'd probably try and shoot that last ball into the pocket and have a drink and call it a day. I, I think I'd, I'm, I'm very happy. I've been very lucky. So I've been that, blessed with I'd the be. journey. That's yeah. A, I love the answer. I love the answer. You know, often it sits people back so far, that question. But to go, you know what? I think that we've done. I've, I've done a done a lot of yeah. stuff. There is a legacy done. here of what we've done. And that'd be okay yeah. too. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I, I'd probably be like, I could have done better. I should course. have done better. Yeah. You know, but that's the journey. Not time to do that. That's the mm-hmm. journey. I think. Um, yeah, I'd be. I'd, I'd look at it and say, you know, that that's it. That 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 I'm happy with what I've done. It's I, okay. Last year, I did a uh, a week's masterclass with Glenn Merkett, who is um, Australia's most Oh, yeah, master. yeah. Well, look, I mean, yeah. yes, the <laughs> definitive Australian architect. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and Peter Stutchbury was there and, you know, a few others, Richard Lepelflier was there. And anyway, with these people, um, it was fascinating. And Glenn, you know, 82, I think he was then, um, so he's 83 now and he's still do- he's doing one this year as well. Um, it was it was fascinating to be around somebody who he would be there at eight in the morning, he'd be there at eight at night. Um, he would hold counsel with you know small groups and large groups of people at different times. Um, he would pull out his pencil and he would challenge somebody's work um, in the room. And just, I said to him at one point, so what, what, what just keeps you going with it? And he said, oh, I've got projects I want to, I want to do. <laughs> just like, oh, got, I, I just got projects I still want to do. Um, I just feel like, I, I, I also just, 
I because I love what I do so much, mm-hmm. and that's why I'm so lucky. I'm just you know, the, like I, I was that kid in Devon who wanted to draw all the time, and then you know I grew up and get to do it all the time. My kids laugh at me. They're like, Dad, what do you do? You're just drawing all day. Just long. draw like, pictures. Can you do some, can you do some work? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, no, um, I'm avoiding that. I'm hiding behind yeah, yeah. my pencil and a piece uh, of paper. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah, I, I, I think. Glenn Murko's doing that because he just loves it. He doesn't know how not to do it. That's what right? he said. He said he'll yeah. die doing it because yeah. it's such a joy. Um, it, it's, there's no work in it. It's just such yeah, a there's joy. there's no work in it. I love the fact that I think he said, and I might have the figure wrong, but he only does one job a year. And um, he had five years booked out. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> but you know who else is like that? A friend of mine knows Norman Foster very well. Yeah, and, right. uh you know the guy never stops he never stops working i mean like he and you're on his plane with him and he's there and he's got his notebook and he's drawing all the time like it's it's kind of never stops being fun and i think that's that if you're lucky that's what you get out of it and i've been very lucky so i think that is that is so much it like it's uh you know just it's a one of the things that uh, taking say the parallel between fashion and architecture is to draw, uh, you know, I used to work in swimwear a lot, women's swimwear. So to draw a fabulous bikini or swimsuit or something like that and to go to the beach and and see somebody walking by in it, you know, or lying in the sand in it or whatever, and you go, huh, they chose that garment I drew. Um, it's always like this, there's a kind of a thrill to it. But it'll be gone within a couple of years. But when you drive past a house that somebody poured every cent they had or available to them at that time um, into building it or every piece of that budget. And then they actually have to live inside it for, they don't have to, but they live inside it for years. I think the weight of the responsibility that you um, hold is so much more joyful in getting it right for them than, you know, whether the bikini is the right bikini or whether the whatever. That, that, and, it's, and it's around forever. Like, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's, yes. Yeah. So longevity. on the flip side is, you know, you see your work and you, I, I for the first two years, I, I try to avoid going to see my projects. Mm-hmm. I'm just too broken hearted. <laughs> <laughs> the things that I could have done better. And it takes me a l- long time before I'm sort of can look at it and go, okay, so that was all right. And that was, that was a, that was yeah. a nice thing to do. And that was a, that came together and everything else, but it, 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 it it's, it's not, I, it's as much fun as it is. It's not, it's not, uh, I wouldn't say it's always easy and no. it's, it, you know, it, it, it's sometimes I'm like, it's like stripping skin, you know, like yeah. coming up with the, the, you know, getting through the creative process, but it is that kind of, it, it somehow it all comes together in a kind of great whole that you you do love it. it it's weird how that works, right? It's like it's, it can be so painful, but it, at the same time, it's so great. I always think of it. It's like a it, it, it's like a, um, a a whole relationship with something. Um, you know, you you start out with this idea. And one day it ends up being this thing that's going to hang around, you know, it's going to, it's going to be there for a, for a long time. And you go through every emotion that there could possibly could be along that journey of, you know, remorse and 
you know, giving up and you know, you're giving up things that you really wanted to hold on to. And, you know, yeah. like you, you have to change things and there's, you know, nothing's ever quite just as perfect as you ever imagined. And it's, yeah, it's <laughs> a long road. It's a long road, but a very joyful one. Yeah. Hey, Chris, it's been fantastic chatting, man. I've really, really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to getting to New York in the next uh Maybe in the next 12 months, we'll see. Well, come and see us. Come I see would us. Love, love to see you. I would love yeah. to come and see you. Um, yeah, it would be really fun. Really, really fun. I, I, I tend to, when I travel now, because of mainly because of the podcast, um, I tend to end up going to places and, being, and having people to see, having people that I go, yeah. oh, oh, wow, I can go and check in on these people go and see this office while i'm here and that kind of thing it's it makes it for a very very dynamic travel travel schedule which is fun that's great oh, we'd love to see you come come see us yeah we would love to i'd love to do that and we'll put it in the plan for sure so okay. thank you really from the bottom of my heart it was really fabulous and to have such such a wonderful person to talk to and with such great insight into architecture and into into culture as well. Uh, I love some of. I took took down a lot of notes, and I love some of the things that you were saying there. You know, um, and that virtual world will make you appreciate the uh, real world even more. I think is. It's a, I like that little quote. It's got a beautiful ring to it, and it's a thing to remember that yep. that is only virtual, and that we what we are creating is something that's real. Um, and that's that's the key, and we're going to drag other humans into it with us. Okay, Adrian, it's a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Cheers, man. Really appreciate it. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is and see how they answer? And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow 
and fire at will.